You've always had what it takes to make it happen. And we know the right tools can make it easier. At Strayer University, we're always thinking about new ways to set you up for success. That's why we give you a brand new laptop when you enroll in a bachelor's program. So you can start off on the right foot and keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Eligibility rules, restrictions, and exclusions apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef. Hi, this is Greg Kelstrom. Welcome to the Agile World Podcast, where we discuss customer experience, employee experience, and transformation in an Agile age. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, a blueprint for creating an experience-led organization, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about company culture and how to maintain and develop great employee experience in a fast-growth global organization. We're also going to talk about how to develop and train the best and most effective types of leaders for your organization. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Joy Sibisma, Chief People Officer at DataIQ. First, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your experience as Chief People Officer and, and what you do at DataIQ? Great. Thanks, Greg. Yes, so I've been the Chief People Officer at DataIQ for the past six months. And in this role on paper, I oversee all of um, human resources, talent acquisition, learning and development, the office management experience, as well as the, um, the uh, total rewards function, which is uh, compensation benefits globally. Um, and in this role, it's a global role. So um, I have team members based in Europe, as well as in the United States and soon to be in Singapore. Um, and it's, it's been a really interesting six months where I have learned so much and I can't wait to talk about it. That's great. That's great. Yeah, it sounds like things are really uh, are moving fast and a lot of growth there. So let's let's talk about that and how to maintain great company culture despite this startup growth. Um, so first, um, why don't we um, why don't you define uh, what success with culture looks like? Um, you know, what's what is a successful company culture at Data IQ, and what does it look like to both current and potential employees? Mm, yeah, well, I think what's what's really unique at DataIQ is I am fortunate enough to join a company where the culture was already strong. Um, and I think there's a few indicators of that. Our Glassdoor reviews, when I was even interviewing myself, I thought they must be fake. Because, <laughs> uh, we have a 100% approval rating of our CEO. Um, and and even just, just as you read through the reviews, I realized there's something really unique and special about this company and, um, and quickly realized in the interview process that they were doing it without a chief people officer. And so, well, in a way that was quite intimidating of why do they even need me? Um, they're already, they've already been so successful at doing so many of the things that, you know, inherently would be part of my role. And what I realized is, um, a part of my role coming in was how to, how to really deeply understand what is working and how to preserve that and scale it. Um, and so a successful company culture, to me, it starts with 
having leaders that embody uh, the values that they hire for and um, and promote within the organization. Um, the fundamental thing I think that I can't impact is um, I, I have to have a CEO and a leadership team that are inherently good human beings um, and who lead who lead with empathy. And so uh, I really do think that that it, the culture starts at the top in that way, and um, and you can't really change the top oftentimes. So. For me, it was understanding like what is what is data IQ and and who are we as an organization, and then how do we how do we take what's worked in building that and and continue to to change the way we potentially operate or manifest it so that it can scale. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you mentioned the the great Glassdoor ratings, and I mean that is definitely to be commended, a hundred percent approval. <laughs> that's 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 great. So yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, what does it actually mean to scale? So in other words, is it doing more of the same, you know, is it doing, doing the same thing, but to more times or what does that actually look like? How do you look at scaling? Cause I would imagine there's some things that you can't simply do more of, right? Right. Right. Well, I think, um, I think it's interesting because a piece of it is, it's actually doing things very differently to achieve the same result. So yeah. I'll give an example. Um, I think that Data Iku is similar to other companies that are at this size and, and scale and trajectory in that up until this point or up until recently, we made a lot of decisions based on individuals. So, you know, we want to hire this person for this role. It's the first time we've hired a person in this role. So we're going to, you know, pay them and make decisions around their their job and their title really based on them. Then all of a sudden you have, you know, five people with that same role. And where I think culture can kind of fall apart is thinking too much about the individual and realizing that that actually, the downside of that can end up looking like favoritism or can end up looking inequitable. And so building process to ensure consistency and fairness can actually preserve a culture of having great human beings who are really smart and capable but with more clarity around what we expect from roles like that and and how we compensate for roles like that. Yeah, wow, that's 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 a great insight. What teams do you work with to make this happen? So, uh, I would imagine it's not just the HR department that is that is part of of making great EX at, at Data IQ. What where's the where's the biggest opportunities as well as wh- where are you finding success working across the organization to to achieve good employee experience and culture? Yeah, I mean, especially I think at this company because HR was really an administrative function here. So um, whereas in some organizations, you know, HR is really seen as business partners. Um, I've had to do a lot of education and evangelism and just you know, influence, um, and doing that by, by building relationships and, and having results yeah. because, uh, I couldn't just come in and say, you know, I'm a chief people officer and here's my resume and here are all the things I can do for you. Um, you know, it's a data driven organization and, uh, and kind of a no bullshit type of organization. Right. So, <laughs> right. I think so, you can say that. Yeah. yeah thank you. Sure. <laughs> um, and so a part of that is, uh, I, I refer to my role as being the pit orchestra conductor of a Broadway show. 
So nobody can see me, but I'm kind of orchestrating the whole performance. Um, and so I think I think influence is really important. And there's nothing that HR does um, alone in terms of shaping the culture. Our role is to really like build programs and processes to scale the culture and enable leaders to successfully support it. And another another thing that I think is uh, you share with a lot of other enterprise chief people officers is this idea of of maintaining a great cu- culture in a company with offices all over the globe, right? So, yep. with employees in I believe fifteen countries around the world, what are some of the challenges that uh, that that poses in in delivering this great culture and experience? Yeah, um, you know, it's one of the reasons I took this job um, because I think scaling culture is is one one challenge in and of itself, scaling culture globally. Um, I had no idea how to do it, but I was super excited about the challenge. Yeah. And I think, I think it, it manifests in many ways. Um, but you know, there's, there's time zone challenges, there's cultural differences, there's language barriers. Um, and then you have like, then by nature, the uniquenesses of human beings as well as uniquenesses of roles. So there's just so many deviations, um, that make inherently running a business and collaborating um, more more complicated and more challenging. What's yeah. incredible about it is the diversity of um, of experiences and and the ability to like really create something unique. But the way it's coming to life for me, you know, I'll, I'll tell a really personal example. So yeah. I have a global team. I've had global teams of my own before. Um, but I'm realizing that I, I, I really haven't adapted my leadership style as much as I've had to at Data Haiku. Yeah. Um, so an example of that is, you know, sometimes the people function um, can be a bit of like the complaints department. So right. we, we end up having to like solve a lot of problems and, you know, help people with a lot of, you know, tough things, emotional things. And so when we come together as a people team, it's always been really important to me that it's our time to celebrate each other and to recognize each other. So my team is pretty much 50-50 France and U.S. And so the first big team meeting I had, we're having a monthly team meeting, sent around a note to everyone before a couple days before saying, you know, here's the here's the loose agenda for the meeting. Let me know if you have ideas of things you'd like to do differently. Um, but one thing I want to do is recognition. So, you know, if you can think about your colleagues and just come prepared with something that at least one of them has done, that's really made a difference for you and impact, you know, come and share it. I didn't get any feedback on that. Right. So I was like, okay, this is going to work. So we get on the global zoom call and I say, all right, you know, I, I set the expectation. This is why we're here. I had sent around a note asking you to prepare some recognition. So, all right, who wants to go first? And it was like, global silence and people, you know, blank face staring at me. I'm like, okay, you know, where did I go wrong? Um, so, okay. Uh, nobody, you know, I'm trying to like fill in the blanks. Like, what about you, Jill? You know, didn't, well, finally a a woman on my team in America speaks up and she says, you know, Joy, I really want to recognize you for all the things that you've done to bring us together as a team. And I could see everyone in France roll their eyes. And I'm like, oh man, this is not what I had in mind. I didn't want this to be a forum to recognize me. So I said, all right, you know what, guys, I think that maybe we'll have to rethink how we're doing this. Um, and maybe we just need some more time to like gel as a team and we'll come back to it. Well, after that meeting, I got an individual note from each member of my French team saying, Joy, 
that was completely inappropriate. We don't appreciate verbal public recognition. And oh. it was like a total mess. Um, here are other ways that we could do it differently. Um, but anyways, even just yeah. a simple example like that, um, I, I interpreted the silence, you know, even before the meeting as, um, as buy-in. Right. And really, I should have spent more time. And I think that's a big learning I've had is, is the cultural differences. Um, you really have to be an agile leader and you have to be able to to check yourself with everything that you're doing to make sure that it's going to land the way that you want, you've intended it to. So perception and intention come to my mind a lot. Of, yeah. It doesn't even really matter what you're intending if you don't get people to perceive it that way. Um, and so I'm finding as a global leader myself and also coaching the other leaders who have global teams is, um, to just be wildly explicit, um, and constantly ask for feedback, um, or during and after, um, any type of communication. Yeah. I think, I think that also speaks to employee experience, it doesn't have to be consistent everywhere in order to be great. I mean, it yeah. needs to be consistently good, but, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a great example of, uh, of that in practice. Right. And even something like, um, we, we were facing an issue of, you know, people, people are starting to leave data IQ. Um, we've had amazing retention and we still do, but you know, people get to certain points in their careers, they want to move on or things don't work out. And so in the US, I was having employees saying like, oh, wow, Joy, I never, I didn't know that that person left the organization. I just went into our HRS and looked at the org chart and they were gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, We need to be better about communicating this, right? So I, I met with the exec team, we kind of strategized, you know, different ways to communicate when people are leaving. We came up with was, you know, obviously when people leave, if we can, we'll send a nice email about their contributions and where they're going. And usually there's a nice amount of time between when someone decides to go or we decide to part ways and when they actually leave. But um, people need to know, you know, maybe less detail, but just that people are moving on when their last day is and um, and who to contact, you know, in in the interim Um, to continue to make sure that the work can get done. So I ended up sending an email with a lot of, you know, buildup of this is why we're doing this. You're going to get an email every week that shows, you know, who's, who's joining the company, who's leaving the company, who's maybe transitioning to a different role within the company Yeah. and sent it out. And it was like an anthropology experiment. Immediately, <laughs> <laughs> immediately I had, thank you. This is exactly what we've been missing. It's so clear from the majority American and um, deep anger from uh, a lot of people on the European side because they felt like it wasn't human and there wasn't mm. enough context. And it was actually a copied and pasted spreadsheet in the email. And because of even a simple thing as grid lines, they said, you're putting people into a spreadsheet. Wow. And so it really took a lot of iterations and getting feedback from people and from the team to finally come to a place of like, how do we communicate things that are important to communicate globally in a way that's digestible for everyone? Um, you know, that, that, uh, that, that kind of solves that problem of, of pleasing people from, you know, not only cultural differences, but different amounts of tenure 
where obviously earlier on employees who probably know the majority of the, the company have just much more of a family feel and and feel like the they deserve to understand why. Yeah. So where we landed from a process perspective is everybody goes on to our HRIS bamboo um, to you know track their paid time off, to look at the org chart, and we have an announcements feature on there. So we have a nice non-spreadsheet form now that is <laughs> a lovely teal. <laughs> and, <laughs> nice, nice. And it's kind of passive. It, it has all the same information, but it's not flooding people's inboxes. It's just there for people to go and check um, as they need to. And so even something like that, I think has taken, you know, two and a half months to get it right. But having the thoughtfulness, um, and the humility to just know that the first attempt at something may fail, but to, to get as many points of view as you can to try to, to try to iterate it, to make it, make it right. I think is also a part of, um, managing a global culture is um is that adaptability uh and the ability to to just take the inputs and and consistently use them to try to make it better yeah i mean that definitely yeah that speaks to the agility and uh, and and all of that um so to switch gears a, a little mm-hmm. bit let's talk about technology so you you're at a technology company um what role does technology play in in this this employee experience Oh my gosh. Well, it's, it's hugely part of it. And you know, the coronavirus stuff is happening right now. And so even, even right now, especially we've just gone to, um, to a strongly recommending everyone globally to work from home, uh, or remotely for a period of time. And we're lucky that because we're already distributed, we are very used to using technology for work. So um, it isn't, I mean, it's only day one, but it hasn't been largely disruptive to our workflow or our culture because it's ingrained in it. And I'll give you some examples. Yeah. Um, Slack, uh, I'm sure most tech companies are using it, um, but the ability to use Slack to help foster and maintain your culture. Um, for example, we're doing, uh, we're doing question of the day on Slack. Um, nice. Now that we're fully distributed, so even just like a way to bring people together with you know a common a common question, we're doing virtual lunches uh, via Zoom. So we're used to having nice. lunch in the office. Now we're doing like cross functional group lunches where we just eat and in Zoom together and feel that sense of community. Um, great. Yeah, it's good. It's good. We'll see how it <laughs> continues to go. Um, and then you know, in in other ways, technology. Our, our actual product, Data Science Studio DSS, um, is a collaborative data science AI tool. And so because of that, I think, you know, we're teaching our clients how to be collaborative and how to approach data collaboratively. Um, and therefore, in the way that we work, it's it's largely collaborative, too. So we, we probably use every fancy tool that's out there. Um, the latest favorite is Airtable from a project management and visualization of your projects perspective. Gotcha. Um, but um, we also, I mean, even as simple as Google Docs, um, we're using those. We, we don't even have Microsoft Excel even for our finance team. So oh, wow. <laughs> we're all cloud-based um, in, in really everything we use, which I think um, just lends itself to being, you know, asynchronous work, um, time zone agnostic, 
um, and still feel like you're moving the business forward and you're collaborating. Well, let's um, talk a little bit about leadership development. I know that's an area you're focused on as well. Um, So from your experience, um, what type of priority should organizations place on training leaders from within? um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, what can they do to foster this growth? Oh, yes. So, you know, it goes back to scaling culture. Um, It's rare when you get to 500 people that the founding team or the leadership team, they can't interview everybody anymore. Right. Um, They can't have one-on-ones with everyone anymore. And so, you know, what, what I've seen in my experience, not only at DataIQ, but in previous roles is most organizations promote their best people. Um, their best individual contributors, um, their best doers, and then just kind of fingers crossed, hope that they can enjoy managing and and do it successfully. Um, And then, you know, most of them, most companies now invest in some sort of training and then it kind of stops there. And what we're doing differently at Data IQ is we're trying to weave leadership development into the entire process. So right when I joined, we started with the, uh, with the executive team and I said, we can't really hire or teach um, elements of leadership that you all don't embody um, and do yourselves. So we started with an assessment of the executive team to understand how are they perceived as leaders. And we drilled it down to a few key behaviors. Um, Then we did an assessment of who are the, who are the leaders that you've promoted internally that have been successful and what's made them successful and who are the leaders that we've brought in from outside who have been successful and what's made them successful? And so through that like three-prong approach, we came to a list of what it actually means to be a leader at Data IQ. And we've built interview questions that assess those attributes. We've built uh, an internally created management development program that works on fostering those behaviors and attributes. And we're weaving it into our performance management process now so that we actually have accountability um, on those metrics. And so I think even just holistically looking at leadership development as it's not just about training, it's about the way that we hire, it's about the way we teach, and it's about the way we hold people accountable. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the hiring and and how that that factors in and how that might have changed what might have seemed like a good hire previously uh, versus now? Well, it's interesting because it's really showing up in um, in our internal promotion process. Um, so we're actually taking a lot of time now um, as we as we look to hire people, um, sorry, promote people internally. Um, we spend a lot of time talking about what it means to be a manager and what it means to be a leader at Data IQ, and not only what they'll gain, but what they have to lose. Um, as they take on this role. And so I think it's allowed us to just have deeper conversations with people about, um, about the reality of them being happy in this type of role, but also the resources that we're going to give them in order to help them be successful in the role. So that's changed a bit internally and, and externally. Um, I find when you have, when you're really clear about what you want and you have questions that are going to enable hiring managers to really deeply understand if they'd get that or not. It just simplifies it so much because we're not looking for the unicorn that has everything and has done everything. We're looking for five things that we think make the difference of 
quintessential, just what every organization and leadership book says you should be to what it means to be a leader at Dataiku. One last question before we wrap up. Um, as a company offering uh, your own state-of-the-art data science platform, how does Dataiku think about using data and, and analytics to help improve the employee experience? You talked about a few examples, but any any other areas where you think um, there's there's room to, to grow? Yeah, it, we're just starting to build out this function, uh, the people analytics function at the company. And um, it's fascinating. We're really starting with uh, with talent acquisition and um, utilizing, we have a candidate uh, feedback form, that uh, candidate survey that we're doing that um, starts to assess not only um, are we giving candidates a great experience, but um, is that different by region? Um, are we moving too fast in some areas, too slow in another? Um, how, how much time between steps in the acquisition process, how does that correlate to whether or not a job offer is extended and whether or not a job offer is accepted? Yeah. Um, and also even something as interesting as the reality of it's a super competitive landscape for talent right now. And we found a lot of correlation between um, the the last step of the process, so the actual job offer, between the job offer in the, the acceptance and the start date, actually having like a pre-boarding period of time where we interact with the candidate, we invite the candidate to have dinner or, or drinks with their new team, um, and to like keep them warm actually significantly leads to them actually joining and starting versus, um, you know, rescinding their, their acceptance and starting somewhere else. So we've yeah. started to do a lot of analysis on, on the talent acquisition side. And now we're looking at like predictive analytics. So things like do, um, does frequency of manager changing lead to people leaving the organization? Um, so having like hypotheses that as we scale, how important is um, is stability and consistency in making sure that people stay engaged and happy? So we're we're in the beginning stages of it, um, and I think the first year of it is all about actually like figuring out what data you want to collect. Um, right. And so we're doing a lot of foundation work of what kind of data are we going to collect and why, and then and then we can start to glean insights from it. Yeah, no, that's that's fascinating. I mean, it's it it must be great to not only be able to collect that data, but have the team all in house that can actually uh, slice and dice all that stuff because uh, that's that's literally what you do. <laughs> exactly, and that it's a it really you know I think powerful thing is scaling is a lot of times companies just think about recruiting when they when they're scaling, and we're really trying to think of the two R's of it of recruiting and retention. And so how can we make sure that we're investing in the people we've already worked so hard to bring in to keep them engaged, keep them challenged and motivated and growing so that, yes, we continue to bring talent in, but we also invest inwardly to the people we've brought in previously as well. Well, Joy, uh, thanks so much for joining the show. Um, for those listening, uh, what's the best way for them to learn more about what you're doing? So I'm on LinkedIn, Joy Walters Sibisma. So definitely connect with me. Um, you can also um, email me directly, joy at joy.sibisma, S-Y-B-E-S-M-A at dataiku, D-A-T-A-I-K-U.com. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I have a side hustle 
people consulting business that I co-founded. Um, and so I, I'm just passionate about the space and the innovation around chief people officers and, and the task at hand. So I love networking with people in this function and across the business and look forward to meeting lots of the listeners. Wonderful. Well, thanks again. I'd like to thank Joyce Ebisma, Chief People Officer at Data IQ, for joining the show. To learn more about both customer and employee experience, I recommend you go to my website at gregkilstrom.com and make sure to check out my latest book, The Center of Experience. More information is available on my website or wherever the book is available, like Amazon. Thanks for listening to The Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile World Podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Center of Experience, from my website at theagile.world or on Amazon or other retailers. Until next week, stay agile. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.